you know, some people are talking about how education has been completely broken. We need to fix this by just destroying the whole system and rebuilding it. And I get some of those arguments, but I also really believe there's power to let's just infuse more critical and creative thinking 15 minutes at a time, build that thinking culture in classrooms, and I bet that's going to go a long, long way. So this session is all about that. Sort of everything I'm going to show you, I think everything, don't hold me to that totally, but at least 90% of it is 15 minutes or less. Right? Things that you can do, like I said, 15 minutes at a time to infuse that critical and creative thinking in your classrooms. Okay. And you'll have a chance to, um, QR code is on that hard copy, so if you didn't get that, you'll have a chance to get that later. The free stuff is also here at the end later, too, so if you missed it, don't worry. Okay, so a little bit about myself. My name is Tara Toronto. I am coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, originally from Texas, and then New Hampshire, so I'm kind of all over the place. Um, but I have a really cool job right now, and I, I really love it. I work for the Van Engel Institute, and they're mostly known, if you've heard of them, as a biomedical research um, firm. So they have scientists from all over the country that are studying Parkinson's and epigenetics and all sorts of stuff way above my mental capacity. But it's really cool to see that, have that vantage point, to see what scientists are actually doing every day, but they always have this K-12 arm as well, say we need to prepare the next generation of scientists or problem solvers. And so to be able to see what that actually looks like in a research lab, what scientists, what skills they actually um, crave and need in order to be successful, and then also how to bring that out to the K-12 level, is a really cool thing. Um, but my favorite, favorite thing, I'm hot too, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to call you hot, I just want to feel you. Um, is to be what I call a teacher fairy godmother. I don't know about you, but I had a certain vision for what teaching would look like and what kind of teacher I would be and what my classroom would look like, and then you get in there and you realize, whoa, this job is way too hard to do the way I had it in my head. And, and I just think the job is too important to be that hard. And so whether it's you know people calling me up to say, I have this lesson, I just want to infuse a little bit more creative thinking, or I want to see if I can make a little bit more inquiry base. Um, I can do that, right? I can be there to do those things that you don't have time for. Find that extra resource at a different grade level. Um, those sorts of things. So that's my favorite thing to do is be a teacher fairy godmother. Do the things that you don't have time to do. Um, so feel free to hit me up for ideas or to brainstorm. Those are the things I love to do. All right, so let's talk to your neighbors a little bit so we kind of know who's in the room. What's your name? What's your role or grade level? And why is this topic important to you or what do you want to get out of it? Just something kind of, you know, why is this? There's tons of sessions out here, so what made this something that was interesting to you? I'll give you like 30 seconds to chat, get to know your neighbor and share out. Critical thinking um, and creative thinking that you can use. All right. So why make time for it? 
Um, I thought this was an interesting quote. First of all, I thought it was interesting that there's such a thing as a futurist. That's a title now, apparently. So Alvin Toffler, the futurist, says, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write. It will be those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And I find that to be really true, right? I mean, even you can learn languages um, with different programs. You can learn to read even without a teacher, you know, possibly, right? Um, but you can learn to learn and learn to unlearn, learn to relearn, right? How to synthesize information, how to make sense of it, how to connect it to other things. That's where a teacher can really come in, right? That's something only you as a teacher can do. So I thought that was kind of interesting. All right, so, and this is kind of why we want it, right? How many of you get these kinds of answers? I don't know why I tried to fix this, so you're going to have to do some critical thinking to figure out what words are missing on the left side. Um, so maybe you ask a question like, what are the words and phrases in this poem, or how do they impact its meaning? And you get an answer like this. They rhyme. Right? Okay, you just want them to dig a little deeper, right? You want an answer like, oh, the, they rhyme, and it makes feel like a song. It turns people happy. Like they're giving it some context. You want that kind of answer give you a few examples, too. High school now. Let's say you're talking about vocabulary. How often do you get a vocabulary answer like this? Use the word resolute in a sentence, and you get it, just the definition is in the sentence. <laughs> right? They were resolute because they were trying to rather than what you want, which is something where they've applied it. My resolute mother made me clean my room before I could leave for the movies. Right? Something that you can tell is personal to them. Or middle school, my favorite people. Um, <laughs> use maps, satellites, images, or photos to explain the relationship between the locations of U.S. and Russia. And you get, here's one, they just like color them. Okay, <laughs> same color. No labels, no nothing. Versus another kid who, like, you know, kind of labeled them differently, put in some miles, put in a little picture. You know, they really took it to that next level. How do we get our kids to go from this to this? And I'll submit that it's about that thinking culture. The more we can reward that level of deep thinking, um, right or wrong answer, but that thinking, um, the more we can get them to those kinds of answers. Um, this was just sort of interesting as well. I'm going to read it from here because it's a little bit cut off. Oh, now i got to move the glasses. Um, Socrates established, in case you're wondering, when did um, this notion first come up, right? Socrates established the fact that one cannot depend upon those in authority to have sound knowledge and insight. He demonstrated that persons may have power and high position and yet be deeply confused and irrational. This sounds familiar in whatever side you're on. I'm not trying to make a statement. Socrates maintained that for an individual to have a good life or have one that is worth living, he must, he or she, must be a critical questioner and possess an interrogative soul. He established the importance of asking deep questions that probe profoundly into thinking before we accept um, ideas as worthy of belief. And the irony is not lost on me that this is from Wikipedia. <laughs> but I, I do that purposely because I think, you know, sometimes it's just common sense. Does it ring true for you? Does this sound just as true as it is today as it was in Socrates' time, right? That we have to be able to think for ourselves and not just trust whatever authority figure is telling us. That's what we want. And whether that's, that authority figure is Wikipedia or something more, you know, credential, uh, I should say, uh, you know, if it rings true for you, that's something to factor in. So this rings true for me, so I went ahead and put it on there, even though it is Wikipedia. People have very strong feelings about that. Um, and one more here. How many of your students would believe that? My students would absolutely find that completely true. Right? And we want our students to be able to get the joke, right? Nothing else. To be able to live their life and not have the joke fly right over their head. So we're preparing students to solve unforeseen problems. We always hear that. We don't know what the jobs of the future are going to be. So we know that there are unforeseen problems with unknown technology and yet to be created careers. No wonder we're so tired. How do you do that, right? Um, also, here's another proof of it, right? Looking at the World Economic Forum, talking about the essential skills that are needed in today's ever-changing world. Look how many of them, of the top ten skills, have to do with critical and creative thinking. So when you're finding time in your classroom, which is always a challenge, and you're trying to decide, prioritize what you spend your time on, I submit that actually teaching these skills is a really good use of your time. Strong critical thinkers make better decisions. I love this. They're happier, right? Have more career opportunities, have improved relationships, are better, more informed citizens. <laughs> you know, after all, this is why we got into this profession, right? To create little humans that can better the world for our society. Um, so I really think critical thinking is a part of that. I'm going to skip over this for a second. All right, so would you like to see some examples? Yes. Okay. So the first strategy I'll share with you is called shallow and deep. So sometimes it's just as simple as acting. If we all use a Venn diagram to compare and contrast, we're all familiar with that. But do you ever feel like you're kind of dissatisfied with the answers? Like it's just obvious stuff that goes in each side of the Venn diagram. 
Whereas if you do shallow and deep, you're asking them to think about obvious similarities and differences, and then not so obvious similarities and differences, a little deeper under the surface. And there's a link to this um, graphic organizer in that handout. And so I'll give you a few examples. So let's say for ELA, kind of, um, uh, I'd say upper L level, maybe they're reading Charlotte's Web. And compare and contrast Charlotte and Wilbur from Charlotte's Web. So if you did just a typical um, Venn diagram, you might get the less, the more obvious similarities. They're both animals. One's a spider and one's a pig, right? Okay, but if you just ask them, what's a not so obvious similarity or difference? You might get something like this. They're both kind and good-hearted, but Charlotte is wiser and Wilbur is friendlier. Right, just the fact that we ask, go a little bit deeper. Because you can't always be there to ask why. So this kind of graphic organizer just asks why for you on your behalf. So I'll show you a few other examples. Here's one for social studies, looking at comparing and contrast World War I and World War II. Obviously, you're just going to get the dates, right? But if you go a little bit deeper, okay, the concept of an alliance was, was something that both had, but their ideologies were a little different. Um, math. All right, so we'll tell them, choose two different ways to solve the same problem. And again, surface answer, they're just going to say, well, one used counters and one used numbers, right? But then they can go a little deeper to think, well, one was faster, but the manipulators were kind of visual, so they can actually think about metacognition, about which one made it clearer for them. <coughs> or science. Maybe you did an investigation, um, and you're comparing the results. So right, this is one where they were lighting a bulb, trying to get a bulb to light, different configurations. So configuration one didn't light, configuration two did. Yeah, let's push them a little bit deeper, and you might get them to actually come up with a vocabulary you're trying to get them to, which is that, oh, the, the one in figure one, configuration one, completed a circuit, whereas configuration two didn't. So just by having an organizer there that forces them to go a little bit deeper, sometimes you can get that um, additional thought. The second one, I got five in this section, is infographic. So I love infographics. I love to look at them. I love to make them. I love to make my students do them. Um, because they're sort of just innately both creative and critical thinking, especially if you have groups working on this together. They're always going to have numbers in them. That's a requirement because it's information, so you want to use some data. But there's also a visual display. So you have your kind of analytical people and your creative people can really work together, and that's a beautiful thing to see. So, um, and this can go at all different levels. It can be something like this. Um, how do the references to jazz and hip hop um, and the no contribute to the novel as a whole? I think is what that says. Create an infographic that explains your answer. So it's really just adding on this sentence. Create an infographic that explains your answer to whatever you're already doing. And then that will force them to think about um, how do I display this with data? And how do I display this in a way that actually use the visuals to make it make more sense, right? It's not just about making it pretty. It's about conveying the information. Um, even little kids, right? So my primary friends, you could do, let's create an infographic that shows the roles and responsibilities of people in authority. Typical kind of primary standards. So you could create this together as a whole class or in small groups. You could look at, you know, how many policewomen or men are there. You can put it in the little figures. So to give them a sense of how you communicate information visually. All right, you could ask them in math, how do you go about solving this problem? Create an infographic to explain Right? So they could just go and kind of um, illustrate the steps they went to in creating and solving a problem. Or, same thing, show the results of your experiment in the form of an infographic. So it's not always just make a graph of it, but make an infograph, right? Have it actually go from data to information. So don't just show me the data, just tell me what is it saying. Use, um, use some visuals to help me do that. So infographic is one that's a pretty low bar for you to just like hey, go try it. You don't have to um, you know, give them too much information. You can show them examples of infographics and then let them go. All right, this is one of my favorite ones that kind of freaks some people out. It's a little kooky. But this is the idea of personification. You can personify just about any piece of content, and all of a sudden you're thinking really abstractly and, and analytically and critically. So here's one um, for ELA, the primary friends. Um, let's write a letter from the day of the week Friday to the day of the week Monday. What kind of letter would it be, right? Like, so would Friday be like kind of snobbish and be like, I mean, everybody's tired when, when you're around. <laughs> everybody's happy when I'm around. Um, so try to give each of those inanimate objects some kind of animate characteristic, right? What, what kind of personality would Friday have versus Monday? And have them have a conversation. They're thinking creatively and critically. Um, this is a fun one too, so, social studies, maybe middle school. What would Napoleon Bonaparte think of the latest Spider-Man movie? Write a review from his perspective. It's not exactly personification, but I just felt it fit in here because it's weird. Um, but it's something where, you know, so if a historical character or an inanimate object could write a review of something that's in pop culture that the kids are interested in, gives them that hook right away and gives them thinking. They have to think about what would Napoleon Bonaparte care about, what was important to him. You have to use your information, your knowledge, but display it in a creative way. 
All right, another primary one. Write a letter from the number three to the letter one. Right? There's that letter, number. Right? Kind of similar as the, um, as the days of the week. Or science. This is a fun one for chemistry. Choose three elements of the periodic table to star in a movie. What kind of movie would it be? Describe each element as a character in the movie. Uh, this, I stole this from this website, but I just thought that was exactly what I was trying to do, was to give some, some characterization, some personification to um, elements of the periodic table or some other scientific element. So hopefully those are something you can use. All right, what are we on? Fourth one, fifth one? Concept map, prerequisite. We're all familiar with a concept map, right? You put something in the middle and you branch off of it. And this is just the idea of, again, just like um, Shaolin Deep, going a little bit deeper by taking one more rung outside of the concept web. So let's say you're doing this with ELA, you've created a story map for a particular book. Now you're going to think about um, the stories with a similar setting and similar characters and add those to your map in a different color. So you're going to compare it to another novel. If you said these were you know, characteristics of a certain character in the novel, find another novel with a different character and you put that in a different color outside of that web, right? How does it relate to each of those elements? You do this with all the different content areas, right? Um, create a concept map showing the causes of the American Revolution, then consider if any of those causes are similar to issues of today, and add those maps in a different color. Right? So again, you're just bringing back, coming back to that map, what you're already doing, but applying it in a different context. Apply it to the real world. Apply it to a different um, uh, piece of literature. For map, let's create a concept map of all the math skills that we've learned this month. Now let's think about how you can use that skill outside of school and add your ideas to the concept map. Right? Again, applying it outside. And then create a concept, um, concept map that shows what a plant needs to survive. Now think about why the plant needs each of those things and add that. So you could also, instead of just applying it in different contexts, add on additional information. So just it's about building off what they're already doing. Okay? This is the last one in this section. How many of you are familiar with RAF? Have you heard this one? This one I usually have some people. Well, I just think it's, it's a really nice way to bring in this sort of critical and creative thinking. RAF stands for Role, Audience, Format, and Topic. And there's this link to this graphic organizer with some ideas for this on your handout. Um, but this is the idea where I like personally to use this by giving the topic and having them um, make, have their choice of the role, audience, and format. So for example, the topic might be for To Kill a Mockingbird, choose an audience that your character would likely present to. Um, so you're looking at, I'm trying to read it and I can't. <laughs> all right, how is To Kill a Mockingbird relevant in today's society? And you're going to give them, maybe you do give them all in this case. You're, the role is going to be to respond from the perspective of one of the story characters. Are you going to be Atticus? Right, who are you going to be? And then who's your audience? Who would, if you were Atticus, who would Atticus likely present to? Maybe a jury, right? And then what is the format? What would, what would Atticus choose? Is he going to, you know, choose a, um, a, a closing statement? Like that would be a really logical version. But you could pick anybody, any character in the story and do this with them. Or here's one where you pick this topic and you have them do the rest. The topic for social studies might be the role of competition in the determination of prices and wages in a market economy. You choose the role, audience, and format. Right? So if you're giving the topic, they can choose anything. They could be a parent, they could be a stockbroker, they could be you know, a, a business person, and then they can finish the rest of it out. Math. All right, how about the topic is the laws of exponents? And you give them that you are, this is kind of like personification, you are the exponent. Your audience is a jury, and your format is going to be jury instructions. How fun would that be? Or, um, how to join my club is the topic. And your role is the prime, minister, the prime number, and your audience is the rational number, right? And you have a membership form. So you very clearly have to explain what is, a, you know, what is the difference between a prime number what is a, and how would you explain that to a rational number. Science, why quit smoking, right? Top, the role could be lungs. The audience could be your brain. You have to write a speech. Or the topic could be journeying through the water cycle. And maybe the role is experienced water droplet. Someone who's been through this cycle. And their audience is new water droplets. And they're going to do a travel guide. That's not what their experience is going to be like as they go through that. So sometimes you can give them all of this. But once if you do it a few times, then you can let them go. Um, and then it's really fun to see what they come up with as well. All right, maybe I've given you a lot of information. I'm going to give you a chance to reflect here. Talk to your neighbors. Let's take about 30 seconds to see which of these do you think you might want to try. Because the whole point of this is to give you things that you can do in 15 minutes that you can go back and do right away. So synthesize a little bit. I'll take about 30 seconds.
mistake, I'm just going to um, take a gamble up here and hope this doesn't embarrass myself. But how many folks think they might use shallow and deep? Okay. How about infographic? Okay. Personification. Concept map revisited. Okay. They're all one equal. Graph. Okay. Well, that's not right. Anybody, but nothing you can use, you can walk out. <laughs> okay. Um, like I said, I'd love for you to talk about it more, but this is one of those super fast case sessions where there's lots to go through. So those are the things that you can do within content areas, right? I showed you each of the four content areas. These are things you can do anytime. These are those, you know, like I said, transition periods, maybe right before lunch, maybe right before the um, school day is over, maybe to start things. Um, so hopefully there are things that you can just fit in again. 10 to 15 minutes. All right, so the first is one that some people love and some people hate, but hopefully you got a puzzle piece. So this is the puzzle piece challenge. And I'm gonna ask you to look at your puzzle piece. I usually ask, when I do it with kids, I ask them to connect it to something that they have learned in the lesson. But for you, I'm gonna make it a little bit easier, maybe. Think about something that you ate recently. A meal. Okay, you got a meal on your head? Now look at your puzzle piece. And see if you can make any connection from the puzzle piece to what you ate. I'm just going to give you like 10 seconds to think about it. by the things that they come up with. So I'll play that. 
as you go. I love question stems, right? There's just ways to, things that you can say to get the kids um, going a little bit deeper, right? What would happen if? What would it be like to? What's another way to? Where else can you? Say more. That's always an easy one. Can you add to? Or how does this connect to? Those are just a few stems that you can use to try to get that thinking a little bit deeper. How about um, assessment strategies? All right, so some of these are controversial, okay? Don't tell them. Um, the first one is where, not what. So this is when, and this can save you time, so this is a bonus. When you are grading some work, instead of correcting every single answer, you can tell them, you know, there's something wrong in this section, but don't tell them what. Make them go back and figure out what exactly is wrong. Saves you a little time, but also makes them have to think about it. And here's the one that people get mad at me. I'm going to trust that you are knowing how to not scar your kids for life. So some people find this horrible, but I, some people think it can be really fun. It just depends on your personality and how much play you can have with your students. But you can mismark the test. So make a habit of marking something wrong that maybe is right, where they are always looking to check your work, check to see whether, is she tricking me? Is she, and so they're having to see, did I really get it right or did I not? Again, please don't scar your children and give them trust issues for life and I'm blaming. So you can use that to develop your critical and creative thinking. Mystery box is a great way to do that. You bring in something related to what you're going to talk about, and you put it in the box, and you give the kids 20 questions, yes, no, to try to guess what's in the box. So they're always just having to make connections between what have we already said yes to, and what have we already said no to, and trying to get to the answer. Simple game. Another one is zoom in. So there's a link in your um, handout to a slide that has, I think it's like 300, 500 of these different um, zoom in exercises at all different levels of difficulty. Um, but I'll show you one. So it's just something you can do again in the transition time, but you're getting them used to thinking. So let's play one together here. We're going to start with a zoomed in image and try to guess what it is. So you can just shout it out. Anybody need shout thoughts on what you think? A wheel. Alright, let's go a little bit further. Give you 30 
seconds to synthesize, write down the ones you really want to try. Don't try to do everything. Okay, prioritize. Okay. All right. So, 
All right, so let's start off. We'll do a pair of quotes. Let's do these two ladies here. Um, do you feel like you need a mic or you want to just read it? I can just read it. Okay, so who's your person, first of all? Kayla. Kayla. So if you were one of these, you know, if you ended up being Kayla, this is you. Someone might have said that Maria did it because that person, that person actually did it. And they're just trying to stay out of trouble. Okay, so let's compare that with yours. What does yours say? Who's, who's is yours first? This is Ivy's perspective, and she says that Maria is guilty. I heard a big crash, and then I saw Maria run out of the room. I think she might have done it. Okay, so the kids will discuss at this point. Let's discuss. Who do you think has a, a better credible source? And it's not like one may not be that credible, but... Hopefully, the end. One more way. So I think yours because mine is much more opinion, whereas yours actually observes something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then you're gonna. Um, I'll take this one. You're gonna put that, and you can sit down. All right. So you're still in play. Let's take the next one. What's yours? Uh, I have John's perspective. Um, no way it was Maria. What about the way that Jordan broke the hamster cage? And she never even got punished for it, even though everyone knows she did it. talking about how she had cut her finger on some glass. The vase was the only broken glass in the building today. It doesn't prove she did it, but does make me suspicious. Yeah. All right, now between these two, do we need to revisit yours again? Do you remember? Well, I, I mean, with this one, from what my partner originally said, this was an actual observation, so was that. But she could have broke her finger on anything, but yeah. she yeah. did run out of the room as soon as they heard the big crash. Okay. So I think still, it's maybe a little bit more credible. Anybody have a different thought? She has hard evidence. Yeah. She has she has actual like not just seeing somebody run, but actual what was it? Cut the finger, the cut on the finger. It's the only broken glass. The only broken glass in the building. That, I know. <laughs> how many think? How many think we should stick with, with the, the running out of the room, as or versus the broken glass? How many think we should stick with the running out of the room? Why do we have to be down to just one? Well, because the kids will will pick which one is credible, and it's not to say that that's not. Right. They're going to just try to pick which one they want to move forward with, so that the more credible oh. sources rise to the top. I think there are more sharp things in the building that could have hurt Good. the hand. And so you can decide to keep keep them going. Let's keep them going. Whoever said that Maria broke the vase is saying that she's a really mean person, but she's always nice to me. All right, one more. Live Gabe's perspective. Gabe. Principal Williams said that lily pollen can leave yellow or orange stains on your clothes, and Maria has an orange stain on her sleeve. I'm not sure, but I think she probably did it. So at this point, we can have the kids argue which of these is a better perspective, but what does your say, guilty or innocent? Guilty. What does your say, guilty or innocent? Guilty. Guilty. Yeah. So I think we have our answer, right? Whether or not, but the discussions that happen about which one is a more credible source, even within the guilty or within the innocent, right, are really great for your students to have. Thank you guys so much. So, um, I think there were a few more. I can't remember. And so there is also a digital version. If any of you guys are still hybrid, so they can they can also scan these and then um, and then they kind of end up scanning the one that has the most credibility to it. But the other thing I think is we'll never know. A couple of the guilty ones said something like this. I'm not sure, but I think she did it. And to me, that's actually a good clue that someone's not just definitively saying she did it, whether or not I have all the information or not. But someone's willing to say, I don't know, but I think this is the case. So I, I think that's a nice little nuance to it. Yeah. So is this something that you just created, or is there a resource that you're referring us to? This is something that we created, um, but you can access it for free. So, and we create things like this every month um, called Timely Topics. 
Um, so if you if you enter these, you'll get on the mailing list, and I'll send them to you. So there's always four. This is one of four. Then I, I don't want to suggest you do all four. You kind of pick one. But one's a little meatier. Usually this is a little meatier. Um, some of the other ones. Like if I go back, I'm the same information literacy. Hold just if you get dizzy. Yeah. <laughs> um, like this one is a super easy one on this one. Um, lesson one, do you dare? It's just this picture that you might have seen people like hanging off this cliff, right? And then you, it's like the zoom in. You realize this is actually a true place in Brazil somewhere. That it's actually, it just looks like it's a big cliff, but there's actually, um, you know, ground right underneath it. So it's this idea of like, don't always trust what you see. Very simple one compared to this one. Um, so we send these out. We have one coming up on Veterans Day. It's kind of cool coming up in November. So yeah, any questions back here. I'm curious, um, I teach Spanish immersion, are those available in Spanish? They are not available in Spanish, no. Um, but I would love to, to do that. I would work with you to help make that happen. Um, but we don't have them in Spanish right now. So we, yeah, we just put these out. Usually try to align with, it. this one doesn't align with like a holiday, but a lot of times they are, um, but or something timely. All right, look away, look away, look away. <laughs> okay, so hopefully, and again, this one takes about five minutes, really. You can see we did that as a kind of demonstration style, but if the kids are all walking around talking to folks and then end up, you know, throwing theirs away, or what happens is they um, they get a set of, of like 10 or 15 of their perspectives. So if we agree that mine is better, I give you one of mine and we throw yours away. So they end up, everybody's collecting those and they can keep going. All right, the other cool thing about this is once they've determined that, they can look back at each of those ones that said innocent had a different fallacy that it was representing. So then they could look at how those represent the different um, fallacies in logic. All right, last piece. How much time do I have? We're doing all right. Um, Project-based learning. So this is a bigger thing. This isn't a 15-minute thing. If you want more on this, my next session is on project-based learning, so feel free to stay for that, and I'll give you much more information. But this is the idea of creating these authentic learning experiences, and that is a really great way to build in the creative critical thinking, right? It's something kind of from a macro perspective. So I like to take the jargon out of it and just sort of come up with the characteristics of an authentic learning experience. Um, and so I'm going to just share these with you. These are, these are seven that I've come up with based on our work. But the important thing is that you have your version of what it looks like so that you know what success looks like. So I'll share with you some of these. The first is having an authentic audience. Um, and I find that engagement goes up proportional to how authentic your audience is. What I mean by that is, let's say, oh, I forgot. Let's say um, that I am having my kids present to me as the teacher. You know, as much of a great rapport I think I have with them, they just don't care if they look foolish in front of me. Right? They're just, the engagement level is here. If they make a mistake, they really don't care. But the minute I bring in someone from outside the classroom for them to present to, that engagement goes up a little bit. They care a little bit more about what they're doing and whether they're going to make a mistake. But especially if that person is authentic to the topic. Maybe they are um, an expert in that topic. Or maybe there's someone impacted by that topic. They're studying hurricanes, someone who's lived through a hurricane. Right? Um, then all of a sudden, they really don't want to look foolish in front of that person. Right? So um, bringing in an authentic audience for your kids to present to. Real world application. This is the idea that they're taking what they learned and applying it somewhere outside of the classroom. Applying it to make their world a better place. Some level of student choice. Obviously, if we're giving them a choice, they have to think. They have to make a choice. So at the very minimum, um, you're doing that. And that's something that you can very much control. It doesn't have to be a wild west free-for-all, right? You can be very discreet about what choices you give, or you can be broader, depending on your comfort level with this. Sustained inquiry. This is, um, I like to point this out because you remember I work with scientists, or I say work with, that's probably loose, <laughs> but I, I watch them. And think about it. They are not studying problems that can be resolved in one class period or even a week, a month, a year, sometimes a lifetime. They're studying problems that have decades worth of research. And what are we doing then? Obviously, we don't have that kind of time, but what are we doing to develop that kind of academic perseverance in our students to be able to sustain an inquiry over a long period of time? So making that part of a project-based learning engagement. <laughs> um, so that obviously, like I said, directly relates to kind of the authentic audience, but you want that genuine, intrinsic motivation and engagement there. I also think for it to be cross-curricular uh, is a really important component of it being an authentic learning experience. Um, if we are just thinking about making dinner and all the different content areas we're going to be using and employing to do that, right? We are reading a recipe. It probably has some math in it <laughs> with the fractions, um, and it probably has some science in it if you're cooking something. 
and you had to get those ingredients from somewhere. So you have social studies thinking about you know commerce and economics, and getting stuff from the grocery store, where it came from. So just in making dinner, you're using all different content areas. So if we continue to think of them as silos, we're really not providing an authentic learning experience for our students. And the last one is collaboration. And I point this out not as like just cooperating together, but actually making meaning together. I go back to my scientist friends again, and one of them told me there will never be another major scientific discovery by one person. Because what they're doing is so nuanced, so focused, so deep, that they have to rely on their knowledge and expertise combined with someone else's knowledge and expertise, like our puzzle pieces, um, to be able to make meaning together. So again, I ask, what are we doing in our classrooms to help students practice that, make meaning together? So I'll show you a two-minute video of what that kind of looks like in action. Again, everything up here has been like you know, short, quick, 15 minutes at a time. But I did want to give you something that's a little bit meatier, a little bit larger, to kind of grapple with and think about. If you wanted to really bring in critical creative thinking in your classroom, doing projects like this is a great way to do it. So I'll show this two-minute video, and we'll talk about it. Video will be repeated, but everything else I'll go through. A couple more projects and then how to create those. 
But I'll just leave you with this. Um, again, trying to know what success looks like for creative and critical thinking. When you've done this 15 minutes at a time, hopefully you'll see that by the end of the year, this is what you're looking for. Your students are genuinely inquisitive. Um, they are confident in their ability to reason. They're open to a variety of worldviews, looking ahead and able to anticipate consequences. They're honest about their own biases, and they're willing to reconsider and revise views when warranted. It's fine to have faith. It's fine to have your, you know, what you know is true to you, but also be open to other people and their ideas and be able to think about them critically and come up with your own opinions. So that's what you're looking for. As I mentioned in the beginning, I love to be your fairy godmother, so if I can help you implement these in any way, um, please don't be a stranger. We do, like I said, sign up for um, the free stuff. We send out those information, see those critical and creative thinking time and topics once a month. Um, I'll give you that QR code in a minute, but also happy to come to your school as well. So, yeah, you can't really see it, so <laughs> I don't know if that will work or not. That's for project-based learning, but um, you're welcome to do that too. So yeah, all of the resources I talked about here are free. Those project-based learning units, those that come with the supplies, have a cost to those. So there's a discount for that if you want that. Um, you can use, if you want to sign up that you haven't, feel free to use these. Or I will pull up maybe the beginning. Let me do that so everyone can get it. Thank you. Woo-hoo.